Well, good morning, Village Bible Church. It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning. My name is Tim Bidall, and I serve as the pastor of preaching here. And it's my privilege again to welcome you and thank you for uh, coming and worshiping with us. And it's so great to see so many uh, guests and friends uh, of those who attend. And, you know, it's the job of the pastor on a Sunday like this to, uh, if you will, sell the church to you, give you reasons why you should attend uh, this particular church. And I could do that. I could talk about the amazing people that we have. I could talk about the incredible programs that help people uh, to learn more about Jesus Christ and their own walk. But I want to tell you that the reason why we exist, the reason why we uh, come here every Sunday and sing praises and, and, and open up God's Word is because of the singular event that we are celebrating today. We serve a risen Savior, a King of Kings and a Lord of Lords. And because of that fact, our lives have been changed. And we want to be a part of sharing that good news with all those that we come in contact with. And so we are so grateful and so thankful to have you a part of this time. Because what we have come to recognize and know is what is on the slide behind me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most joyful event that has ever come to pass. There are many here today who have been changed by the realization the truth behind that empty tomb. That Christ did what he said he did, and he has accomplished for us salvation from our sin and our shame. And this morning, as we open God's word, I want to look to a particular man who responded to the message of Easter. You saw it on the screen just in a moment. His name was Thomas, and he's known for his doubting or second-guessing. And I want to take some time this morning to look at his life, to look at uh, how God would use his doubts to strengthen his belief later in his life. But before I do that this morning, I'm going to ask you to take God's Word in your hands. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab that pew Bible and the pew rack in front of you. And you can find our passage on page 906. Page 906. We're going to be in John chapter 20. And then also grab that uh, insert in your bulletin this morning that has uh, an outline just for you to follow along. And it helps you to recognize that at some point I will come to an end this morning, okay? But I recognize this morning in a crowd this size, that there are many responses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, a, a part of each of those responses, uh, you will find yourself. This morning, I'm going to believe that the majority of the individuals here, when they hear or, or talk about or hear being taught uh, the idea, the understanding that Jesus Christ went to the cross, was buried, and on the third day rose from the grave, they will tell you that that is what has made them a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That their entire life is summed up in this one day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They live their life differently. They spend their money differently. They invest their time differently because of Easter Sunday and all that it affords for us as Christians. But on the other side of the spectrum, you have those who are not devoted at all. They hear of the empty tomb. They hear people talking about how Jesus has changed their lives. And I'm going to assume this morning that some of you look to the empty tomb not with devotion, but with disbelief. With disbelief that, that this is all a fairy tale. That this is all myth. 
that those who buy into it may be weak-minded, or maybe just, uh, uh, if you will, misunderstanding what the story or fable that you might say this is, is all about. You look with disbelief and you reject the notion that a man could die on the cross on a Friday and be raised from the dead on a Sunday. But within those two spectrums, there's a third group. And the third group is not given to devotion, it's not given to disbelief, but it finds itself vacillating between the two. It finds itself looking at the celebration of Easter, the truth of the resurrection, with great doubt. Oh, you want to believe? You want to know for sure that what you have seen and what you have heard is really true? But there are questions. There are questions that stir your heart and mind, that that ask the thoughts of what if or how can this be? It's my desire this morning that we would honestly assess where we're at this morning. Every one of us. I would, I would be encouraged, quite frankly, as a pastor, if you walked in with disbelief and after you walked out, you said, you know what, he did a good job of communicating the truth, but I still don't buy it. At least you've given me an opportunity to share what God has done in changing my life. And maybe you leave today and you came in devoted, I would hope and pray you'd leave devoted all the more. That you would recognize the significance of our risen Savior and Lord. But most specifically this morning, I want to talk to a group of people who maybe desire to want to believe, but there's doubts in your mind. You recognize and see the role that Christianity has played throughout history and throughout our world, and you ask yourself the question, there must be something about this Jesus. Let me tell you, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then he's either a lunatic or a liar. And we come this morning to a passage where uh, his disciples find themselves doubting the resurrection. And I'm here to tell you this morning that doubt is something we all struggle with. Doubt is that which causes us to have a litany of unanswered questions and lead us only to concerns and fear. It causes us to be unsure of the circumstances that are before us And many of us uh, find ourselves struggling with this issue of doubt. But some of you may wonder, what's the difference between doubt and disbelief? Let me help you understand the difference between the two. Disbelief is defined as the deliberate denial and resistance to believing the truth of something. You don't want nothing to do with it. You are opposed to the idea that what may be articulated to you could actually be true. Doubt is very far from that definition. Doubt has been defined as the unwavering, I'm sorry, as the uncertain wavering in belief and conviction. It's a lack of certainty. It wants to believe, but it struggles. It finds itself weak at the knees, if you will, in believing it. The Greeks had a word for, for this word doubt, and it spoke of being a person that had two minds. One who wanted to believe and one who struggled to believe and wavering, finding itself vacillating between the two. German writer and statesman, I love this guy's name, Johann von uh, Wolfgang von Goethe. You got to quote a guy like that on Easter Sunday. Good old Johann said, give me the benefit of your convictions if you have any. But keep your doubts to yourself, for I have enough of my own. 
We all have doubts. For my family, we are now coming upon the, um, if you will, the celebration, and it is a celebration, uh, of one year of, of dealing with a cancer diagnosis for my wife. A year ago, at the end of March, we were in the middle of all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts. As, as uh, Amanda's husband, I remember the, trying to be strong and trying to, to make sure my children understood that everything was going to be okay, but i got to be honest with you this morning, I was full of fear and doubts. What if this happens? What if this diagnosis takes place? What am I going to tell my kids? What am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to tell myself? Doubt fills our minds with all kinds of questions like how and why. And it's this morning that we come to a man who doubts. And Jesus doesn't deal with this man in a harsh way. This morning, if you have come with doubts, Jesus wants to receive you in love not anger. Now our world seems to tell us that doubts at times might be good, and there's some real truth to that. But when it comes to the faith of Christians, the world seems to combat against us seeking to create doubt in our minds about our faith. You see, doubt happens in all areas of life. We have doubts about our future. We have doubts about our feelings. We have doubts about our family. We have doubts about finances. We have doubts about everything. But most clearly it is probably seen in our doubts with regards to our faith. And if you spend any time within the world as a follower of Jesus Christ, whether through media or through uh, outspoken individuals, you will feel the tug to move from devotion to doubt. This was no more clearly seen than in a newspaper article I found from the St. Louis Dispatch of a very odd event that took place in a public school in the St. Louis area. The story goes like this. The resurrection is nothing but a myth, Tom's high school teacher announced to his class just a few days before the Easter break. Jesus not only didn't rise from the grave, he continued, but there's no God in heaven who would have allowed his son to be crucified in the first place. To believe it makes you nuts. Sir, I believe in God, Tom quietly protested, and I believe in the resurrection. The teacher replied, Tom, how can you believe in that? Now, we live in a free country. You can, you can believe what you wish to, of course. However, the real world excludes the possibility of miracles like the resurrection. The resurrection is a scientific impossibility. No one believes in miracles can also believe and respect science. Then the teacher proposed an experiment. Reaching into his refrigerator, he produced a raw egg and held it up before the class. He said, class, I'm going to take this egg and I'm going to drop it and it is going to hit the floor. We know this to be true because gravity will pull it towards the floor and when the egg strikes the ground, it most certainly will break apart. Looking at Tom with a challenge, the teacher said, now Tom, I want you to pray. I want you to pray a prayer right now and ask your God to keep the egg from breaking when it hits the floor. If he can do that, then you will have proven your point, and I'll have to admit that there's a God. After pondering the challenge for a moment, Tom slowly stood up to pray. With quivering in his voice, he said, Dear Heavenly Father, and he began to pray.
Father, I pray that when my teacher drops the egg, that it will surely break into a hundred pieces. But Lord, I also pray that when the egg does in fact break, that my teacher will be stricken with a heart attack and die. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There was a gasp within the classroom. And the class sat in silent expectation. For a moment, the teacher didn't know what to do, so he did nothing. At last, he looked at Tom. He looked at the egg, and he looked at the class. And then, without a word, he carefully put the egg back into the refrigerator. (laughs) You see, the teacher had come into that argument with a sense of disbelief. He didn't move from disbelief quickly he was aggressive about it but what we learn is is he had more faith than he ever would have given himself credit for this morning i want to give you some reasons why there uh, needs to be a little more faith in your life why you need to take a second look at the resurrection of jesus christ and stop your second guessing To do so, I want to look at John chapter 19. I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verse 19. If you would turn there in your Bibles, if you haven't already, uh, we are given uh, a record of what's taking place on the evening of Easter. This is what John tells us takes place as an eyewitness. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came... That dead man, remember? Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, where he had been crucified, where he had been stabbed on the cross. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any of them, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands... Uh, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put on your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How do we stop our second guessing this Easter? We first of all explore and examine the life of a disciple who stumbled by it. Write that down in your outlines. We have this disciple, Thomas. 
And there is no more famous person in all of human history known for their doubting than Thomas. That's why when when we see someone who's doubting, we will say, stop being a doubting Thomas. It's a part of our vernacular. And Thomas was a guy who was known for his doubting, but that is the full picture of this man. So let's take a couple moments just to understand who this man is. First of all, we are told that Thomas was a twin. His name literally was Thomas Didymus, Thomas the twin. Now we don't know who his twin was, but we do have understanding from the text that he has a brother or a sister who was born at the same time. He was a twin. We also see from scripture over and over again, a little bit into the personality of this Thomas. Thomas was a guy who was a bit of a melancholy. He was a pessimist. He was, if anything can go wrong, it surely will go wrong. He is like some of you this morning. Some of you find yourself married to a Thomas. Not a bad thing. It's just something you got to be a part of and, and recognize the, the, if you will, realism that that individual has. The best person I can come up with to help you understand who Thomas is, I go to the child story of Winnie the Pooh. And Winnie the Pooh had a friend. His friend's name was Eeyore. You remember Eeyore, the little gray uh, donkey? The one that never seemed to be excited? Oh, you know, Tigger needed Ridlin, but Eeyore just needed a pick-me-up, right? And Eeyore would always find himself looking at the glass half-empty. Always with doubts, always with questions. This is who Thomas was like. He would look at the grim side of things. He was a disciple who stumbled because of doubt. What else do we know about him? Write this down. He's a fisherman. In John 21, we see that uh, many of the disciples who were fishermen themselves after uh, Jesus' resurrection think that ministry is done and over and they go to go fishing. And Thomas is listed as one of the fishermen. And so we find out his occupation. Number two, we learn he's a follower of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 6, verses 13 through 16, Jesus calls his disciples, and he calls them by name. And amongst the twelve is Thomas, listed as one of the men who Jesus would commission to walk with him, to talk with him, to live life with him, to be a part of the inner circle of disciples. It's because of this that Jesus would see, I'm sorry, that Thomas would see far more of Jesus in his life and ministry than most other people on earth. He was privy to all the miracles, privy to all the teachings of Christ. He got to ask Christ personal questions, and he got to see Christ work with the crowd. But he wasn't just a casual follower. He was devoted, even unto death. In John chapter 11, we are told that Jesus is going to go visit his close friend Lazarus. Lazarus was sick and then subsequently died. Lazarus uh, is now buried in the tomb, and Jesus and the disciples are going to go to Bethany to see him and, and grieve the loss of their close friend. But the disciples tell Jesus, Hey, Jesus, hey, be careful. We know in Bethany that the chief priests and Pharisees are there, and they're trying to find a way to condemn you. They're going to capture you, and they're going to put you to death. We better stay away. Of which Thomas says, and there's a bit of pessimism and fatalism in Thomas's words. Thomas says, hey, let's go and die with him, okay? Thomas is willing to put his faith on the line even if it means that he might die. 
This was true even of Thomas after the ascension of Jesus Christ. History tells us that Thomas, after Christ would ascend into heaven, would go to the Middle East and go throughout the Middle East, all the way to the area of India, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. He would begin his journeys about 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in A.D. 52. And for 20 years, he would proclaim Jesus as the Savior until A.D. 72. Now, there's some words that come from ancient history about the work that Thomas did. One person said it this way, He who so fervently proclaimed his doubt in the resurrection carried the Christian message of love, hope, and forgiveness to the ends of the earth in his generation. To a land that was filled with dark people, he was sent. Not people who were dark only in skin, but dark because of their sin. Thomas was sent to India to clothe them with salvation, to baptize them in white robes. And it was through his miracles and graceful message that he would dispel India's painful darkness. To this day, there are followers of Jesus Christ in the Mideast and in India because of the work of Thomas proclaiming the gospel. Thomas was one, finally, who was focused in on finding answers. In John chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples and he tells them that he's going to leave them. He's going to go and prepare a place for them. And the disciples, like they usually do, kind of put their head like this. "Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, we, we get it, we get it. Thomas is looking around and going, I don't know about these imbeciles, okay? But I don't have a clue of what you're talking about. I don't have a clue of where you're going. And in John 14, 5, he says, I don't, where are you going, Jesus? I don't get it. And I get that these guys are playing smart, but they don't have any idea or clue where you're going. And so here's my question. Where are you going? I want to know so I can go there with you. He wanted to know the answers. But what do we know about Thomas? He doubted. How would you like to be known for your singular worst mistake of your life? That that's all you're known for. Throughout human history, people would look your name up in the internet from years to come and look up and find out that you are known for the mistake that you made. This is true of Thomas, but it's not the whole story. But what led such a devoted follower of Jesus Christ to doubt? I want you to notice the downward spiral that doubt can play in our lives. Doubt isn't inherently sinful until we allow our lives to be changed by it. And Thomas does that. But I want you to notice what causes it. First of all, I want you to see this morning that doubt will usually cause us to a place of desertion. Notice verse 19 with me for a moment. It tells us on the evening of that Easter day, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And let's move now to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now I want you to notice this morning that in that first Easter celebration, it was no celebration at all. The closest followers of Jesus Christ find themselves all doubting. How do we know they doubted the resurrection? We know they doubted the resurrection, even though some had seen the empty tomb, and had heard that that the women had even been visited by the resurrected Jesus, they were still filled with doubt. Why? Because they were fearful of people. They were fearful of what people might do to them, and so they've got their doors locked, and they're all closed off from the world. 
And as we see, that doubt was a part of the whole Easter story. Each of those men had walked away, had run away from Jesus at his time of betrayal and arrest. Even Peter, the, the rock Peter, would find himself denying Christ three times because of his doubt in Christ's message. Doubt had come on the heels of something else. The disciples found themselves at a place of great disappointment. This Jesus who had served and, and shown them the way of life and had shown them such power and such abilities that they had never seen before now finds himself with a crown of thorns on his head hanging on a cross and being given to public ridicule as he breathed his last breath and they wanted nothing to be a part of it because they were of such great disappointment that this Jesus had not lived up to what he said he would would they doubted this led them to despair they didn't know where to go they didn't know what to do all that they had invested in was one big failure the disappointment and despair led them to doubt the, dis- the claims of christ so they find themselves in the upper room but jesus who's utterly faithful even when we're not on that easter evening visits his disciples he calms their fears he brings them peace And he shows them that he did exactly what he said he was going to do, and that is rise from the grave. But here's the problem. Thomas is not there. Where's Thomas? Well, my text says that he's out shopping for the disciples. No. Maybe he's out with his girlfriend. I don't know. Probably not. If you understand Thomas as as I've come to understand him, I think Thomas is somewhere by himself sulking in his doubts wondering what he's going to do next. And as a result of that, Thomas misses an important element to his faith. Had he been there, he would have been filled with faith, not doubt. But he misses that opportunity. And, and, and this is a reminder. And, and, and I say this with all love and sincerity. This is why we show up to church every Sunday. Because every week we come in and we begin to start doubting the claims of Christ. We doubt what Christ is doing in our life. Will he do all that he said he will do? And we gather in this place and we encourage one another. And we remind one another. And we teach one another. And we admonish one another that Jesus Christ is faithful. That he will do what he says he will do. And that we need to remain faithful to that truth. But herein lies the problem. For many of you who find yourselves doubting this morning, you find yourself not with God's people on a regular basis. Had Thomas been there, the story would have been done. But Thomas finds himself, for whatever reason, for whatever uh, issue that was going on in his life, away from the people of God where Jesus was going to show up. The Bible tells us in his Gospels that Jesus uniquely participates when two or more are gathered in his name. That he is there. And that we experience his presence in a way we wouldn't experience it by ourselves. And it's a reminder for each and every one of us that church is simply not for Christmas and Easter. But it is a weekly and sometimes daily activity we're a part of to push away the doubt instead of deserting to isolation. Notice there's a delay. Notice in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. 
And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands, the mark on, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Thomas shows up sometime that night, and what's the response of the disciples? We've seen the Lord. He's risen. We didn't get it. But now we do. The women were right. The empty tomb is there. And Jesus' body hasn't been stolen. Jesus is alive. And he's talked with us. And he's engaged with us. And, and they hear of all these different things going on. And so eight days were now going to go by before Thomas would ever have that doubt taken care of. Eight days Thomas would remain in doubts. Now, Many of the disciples had told him, to think about it, ten disciples at least were in the upper room when Jesus came that first time to visit them. Thomas comes in and each of them yell out in one accord, Jesus is alive. And then as they're eating and Andrew comes over and says, man, I was hanging out with Jesus. We threw the football back and forth to one another. And, and then John comes over and says, man, I, I made Jesus his famous pita recipe and we're really enjoying it and eating it. And man, you missed it. And, and, and then another one comes and Peter says, man, when the Holy Spirit came upon us, it was an awesome thing. You missed it. But I want you to notice that this morning. Because he missed out, even the good word of those in attendance would not suffice. Some of us have doubts so deep about Jesus that hearing the words from someone else isn't good enough. We need to experience it for ourselves. It caused for a delay. Eight days he would live in his doubts. Notice it comes then on the heels then of a denial. Verse 25, he's heard from the disciples, he's heard what they have to say, and the multiple accounts that take place, and Thomas says, listen, unless I can touch it myself, unless I can see it with my own eyes, I will never believe. As the disciples tell him that Jesus has appeared, each of them giving their own individual stories, Thomas' response is, I won't believe. I won't believe. As doubt begins to be, begin to grow and build in our lives, we begin to deny the reality that no matter what anyone says, we won't believe. And so this morning, as you deal with the doubts in your mind, it isn't that there's not enough people telling you that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is risen from the grave, and that He has changed the lives of people in this place. For many of you, you will say, it's not enough. I need to see it. I need to be a part of it. And notice these denials usually come with a demand. Verse 25, Thomas uses this phrase, unless. Unless. What, what Thomas is saying to Jesus, what he's saying to God, what he is saying to the fellow disciples is, listen, here are my demands. Here's my criteria. I want to see you. I want to touch you. And I want it done on my terms, not yours. Have you ever done that with God? Have you ever told God that you would believe in Him if He did this, if He did that? God, if you answer this prayer, then I will surely be a follower of yours. God, if you help me pass this test, I will surely believe in you. We build these hurdles around God, and, and we tell Him that He must cross these barriers for us to believe. Let me tell you something, it's never a good idea to demand something of the God of the universe. But that's exactly what Thomas does. 
It's all about him and his doubts instead of Christ and his glory. So let me ask you this morning, where are your doubts regarding Easter? What are they? Where is your doubt leading you? Is it leading you farther and farther away from people of faith? Is it leading you farther and farther away from Jesus Christ? What demands are you placing on him for you to believe? What denials have you made? Wherever you're at, be aware that doubt is a slippery slope that leads you farther and farther away from the truth, not closer to it. So how does Thomas get set straight? I want you to notice my final point, our, our defense against the struggle of doubt. How do we defend against it? How do we get right? Well, just like in every other need, we're going to see in the text that Jesus is the answer. You see, Jesus just isn't the answer with regards to our doubt. He's the answer to every question that we have in our lives. And Jesus could have responded to the blatant doubts in a particular way, but he doesn't. So notice what happens. Thomas, first of all, we see, has his doubts alleviated by drawing close to Jesus. Notice verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now let's stop there for a moment. We see Jesus makes a second visit. What's the reason for his second visit? The reason isn't to show himself to the disciples again. They've already seen him. They know that he's alive. They know that he's been raised from the dead. Why does he come back a second time? Because Thomas is there. And so he comes and he says that the individual is just important as the group. And so he shows up and he tells Thomas, listen to what he says. Thomas, you dummy. Where were you the last time I showed up here? Why are you doubting? Why don't you have enough faith, you imbecile, right? Isn't that what Jesus says? No, Jesus utters the words, peace be with you. I want you to know this morning that in your doubts, Jesus is not waving his finger at you, calling you names. Jesus is drawing close to you, and he is announcing his love for you. Jesus says, Thomas, I've come back here for you. I love you enough to not leave you behind. I love you enough not to leave you in your doubt. Jesus is coming to you this morning here in Sugar Grove, and he's coming and he's saying, I don't want to call you names. I love you too much. I don't want you to feel isolated. I want you to gather with me and be with God's people and be filled with faith, not doubts. He doesn't beat up Thomas. He meets him right where Thomas is at, and that's what Jesus can do for you this morning. Notice the next thing that Thomas needs to do. He needs to depend on the demonstrations that are given. Notice the evidence that's given. We see some evidence. First of all, in verse 27, then he says to Thomas, this is Jesus speaking, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Wait a minute. Jesus wasn't there When Thomas makes his announcement, remember? Unless I'm able to do this, unless I'm able to do that. So let's give some evidences that Jesus is who he says he is, being God. Number one, the doors are locked and Jesus shows up without opening the door. That's pretty God-like. Okay? Number two, he shows up and he comes to the one guy in the room and he says to the one guy in the room, Hey, I know what you said. I heard what you said. 
And without even stopping and asking any questions, Jesus says, here are my hands. Here's my side. Go ahead and put your hand there. See that this is actually true. Now, here's what we will do in our times of doubt. I want more evidence. Give me more. And I'm here to tell you this morning that we have written before us all the evidence that we need. But God gives more evidence. God gives you the evidence, listen to me. God gives you the evidence of my own testimony. And the testimony of so many in this place that our lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. That we have taken God at his word and we have believed these words and we believe and we've never been the same since. Are you seeing the evidences all around you? Notice what Thomas does. He believes. He declares his allegiance to God. In verses 28, he says, My Lord and my God. In the single most greatest affirmation of deity in any of the scriptures by any of the disciples, Thomas unveils the idea that he now fully recognizes that Jesus is God and that because Jesus is God that he could truly be raised from the dead. And now he goes from being a doubter to a devoted follower and disciple of Christ. How did that happen? Listen to me. The same way it happens each and every day throughout this world where people bow the knee to Jesus Christ, where Jesus shows himself to be faithful, where Jesus shows himself to be powerful, where Jesus shows himself to be the savior of you and I. And we bow the knee and we give our allegiance to God through his savior, Jesus Christ. It's when we come to a place of total brokenness that Jesus can change us. But some of you are asking, wait a minute. I would believe if Jesus showed up today, if he was standing before me, showing me his hands, I'm telling you, Thomas was onto something. Jesus, show me these things. But notice what Jesus says. Have you believed, in verse 29, because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. Well, how would they believe? Notice the next verse. Now, Jesus did many other signs and presence in the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How do you get your doubt disarmed? You do it by devoting yourself to the word of God. You have in your hand the record of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And though you haven't seen firsthand the things that have been written, we have been told his gospel. A gospel that is good news because of what Jesus has done for you and me. And throughout history, and throughout the world, even today, people are giving their lives to Jesus. Turning from their doubt of the resurrection and doubt of him being the Savior, to being the one who bows the knee. The Bible has all that is written, so that one singular thing may take place, that we might believe. So let me ask you this morning. Do you believe in the risen Savior? Do you believe in the one called Jesus? The Bible says we don't need signs, we don't need appearances, we don't even need miracles, we need a Savior. And the Bible tells us that that Savior can make all things new in our lives if we would be willing to humble ourselves, bow at the throne of Jesus, and give Him control of our lives, believing all that He has said. And if you have never done that, The Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
So if you still have some doubts, or if you're ready to make that declaration as Thomas did, I'm going to ask you before you leave today, talk to someone who is on our hospitality team. Stop by the Welcome Center. Come find me. Talk to the person sitting next to you. Don't leave this place without your doubts being disarmed about who Jesus is, that you would leave this place living in light of the resurrection, not in the shadows of doubts. It is then and only then that Jesus will meet us face to face and change us and make us like him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray for the doubters in our midst. I pray for those who find themselves struggling with the claims of Christ, who find themselves struggling with the questions they have regarding their faith. And I pray, Lord, that through the testimony of your word, through the testimony of the changed lives of the people in this place, that we would be changed. We would be made new. And Lord, I pray that as a result of that, that there would even be one this morning who would stay and and ask questions and learn even more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be like Thomas who turned his doubt into devotion. Lord, I pray that today someone would experience that salvation firsthand. We are so thankful, Lord, for giving us your son and allowing your son to conquer death and to conquer sin and to be raised And we're thankful for that amazing grace that now changes our lives. And we sing and we proclaim in response to it. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of Easter. We give it to you in praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.